If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. A month or two after our son Zwingli was born, Catherine had to, to go back to working on her PhD at the university full-time, and so I became the main caregiver for Zwingli during the week, and I didn't know what to do with the newborn. But since I liked reading, I began to read to Zwingli when he was just a few months old, and some of the things we began to read over and over and over again were children's Bibles. I read a lot of kids' Bibles. And one of the first indicators of whether I would like the children's Bible was how they told the story of Noah and the flood. You see, very often kids' Bibles tell the story of the flood like this. There was a big flood coming, and so God told a man named Noah to build a big boat. Noah built the big boat Saved him and a bunch of animals. The end. The rest of mankind are never mentioned. And there are pictures of happy Noah and a bunch of animals sticking their heads outside of the ark windows. And of course, there's a nice looking rainbow that shows up at the end. The way the story is told, it seems like there just happened to be some big waters that were coming through. And since God likes to save people, Noah got a a little bit of a heads up. So in many kids' Bibles, one of the most important, one of the most essential parts of the story of the flood is completely removed. And that part is God's judgment. You see, the setup for the flood does not just describe Noah's righteousness, but it describes Noah's righteousness in contrast to the wicked and depraved, perverse people who were populating the planet at that time. It is made very clear before the flood comes that the flood was not an unfortunate accident. It was not an act of mother nature. It was not just a a random downpour of water. No, God made it crystal clear before the flood that except for Noah, all mankind was despicable and depraved. They deserved death. And God would deliberately use this delurge of water to bring about their total destruction. The flood was God's intentional judgment on all of mankind. That was talked about before the flood. And today, as we move into the description of the flood, we will see God's power. We will see God's judgment on full display. This flood that God brought about, it teaches us essential truths about who God is, why He deserves to be worshipped, and how we desperately need to turn to Him and Him alone to be saved. So please, if you would, look with me at Genesis chapter 7. Verses 17 through 24, as we look at the God of power and judgment. Genesis 7, starting in verse 17. 
The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Lord God, we, we thank you that you have made it clear in your word what you are like, that you have not left us in the dark. We thank you that you are not a weak God, but that this text shows us that you are a God of power, that you are a holy God, and that you are a God who brings down judgment. I ask, Lord God, that as we walk through this passage, that we would be struck by who you are, that we would be amazed, and that we would be led to worship you, that we would be excited about who you are, what you've accomplished, and what you will do in the future. We thank you for your word, and in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you want to better follow along today, there's an outline of our sermon on your bulletin. Our passage today can be divided into two main sections, each describing something about our God. Verses 17 through 20 show God's power, and verses 21 through 24 display God's judgment. So we begin by looking at God's power. Again, chapter 7, verses 17, just down to 20, says, The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Now, I know all you farmers out there pray for rain, but you would never want this much rain. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth as the water just kept coming. The waters increased so much that they bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. This increase of water is repeated in verse 18 where it says that the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. According to Old Testament scholar Gordon Wenham, that word prevailed is a military word for succeeding in battle. 
God is saying that the waters triumphed. They had victory over the earth. And this was not an isolated triumph over the earth, but a worldwide victory of water. Verses 19 and 20 say, And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Now a cubit, it's about 18 inches long, which means that the highest mountains were more than 22 feet underwater. Now, if all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered, that means that everything was underwater. If all the places of highest elevation were covered with water, then the places of lowest elevation were covered with water as well. This was a worldwide flood. Some people have tried to create some some rather inventive ways of arguing that this flood was was just a local flood, just a flood in one small area, but that goes against the very clear evidence that we see in Scripture. Genesis says that the mountains over all the earth were covered with water. Genesis says that every animal and human across the whole world died from the flood. And in the New Testament, 2 Peter 3, excuse me, verses 5 through 7, confirms that the flood covered the whole earth. This was a worldwide flood. And this worldwide flood was a massive display of the might of and the power of our God. God has ultimate authority over creation. He is in complete control. God used the flood as a tool to accomplish His purposes. And the power He displayed in flooding every small inch of the earth shows us that He is a God who's worthy of our worship. He is a mighty God who deserves all of, all of the honor. He deserves all of our praise. And since He is a God of strength, we can trust that He has the ability to keep His promises and to take care of His people. The flood is a demonstration of the sovereign power of the Creator God. And because he has that sovereign strength, he is able to be the ultimate judge. Which leads us to our next point, God's judgment. God's judgment. Genesis 7, verses 21 through 24. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now we need to remember that The book of Genesis is not just history. It is theological history. Everything in Genesis 
that's described really happened, but it was written in a unique way to specifically teach us some divine truth about our God. So in verses 21 and 22 and 23, all state the exact same truth that every living thing outside the ark died. It is repeating that truth three times in a row for a reason. It is emphasizing the complete and total destruction of life because of our God's judgment. Verse 21 says, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. This verse walks through a list of the main living things killed in the flood, and it lists them in the order that they're listed in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, showing that all the birds, all the land creatures, and humans were destroyed. If it was on the earth, it was now dead. Then verse 22 says, Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Just like God gave the breath of life to his creatures in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God continues to show his sovereignty by taking that breath from them. As the creator, he has the right, he has the power to give life and to take it away. And he used the flood to take the breath of life away from every land creature outside the ark. And just to make sure that we recognize that this was indeed the will of God, that this was indeed done by his hand, the first half of verse 23 says of God, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. God blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. The Hebrew words for blotted out have the idea of being erased, like someone erasing some words from a record, or of being wiped clean, like someone wiping a plate clean after being used. God completely erased all birds, all animals, and humans from existence. He wiped them off from the face of the earth. Wicked mankind was completely and utterly obliterated. And to put another point of emphasis, verse 23 again says, They were blotted out from the earth. Except for those on the ark, God executed every man, every woman, every child on the earth. This was judgment like we have never seen before as the entire population of the earth was destroyed. And God, as a holy and just God, as the eternal judge, had every right to do this. Even the bit of hope that we see at the end of verse 23 is meant to show how massive God's judgment was. It says, Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. 
Those who survived the flood were a tiny, tiny group. Noah and the seven others on the ark were the only people left alive on the entire planet. And verse 28 again emphasizes the flood's victory over the earth, saying, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. God's power, His judgment was vividly seen as the water was completely victorious over the land for 150 days. This section shows us that God is not just a mighty God, but is a holy and a just God. A God of wrath who punishes wickedness, who punishes sin. To disobey, to rebel, or oppose this God is a really big deal. To sin against the supreme sovereign is a massively serious thing. Whenever you are tempted to sin, remember how serious it is to oppose this God. I want to conclude our our time together by reading to you one of the things that Jesus thought that we should learn about the story of Noah and the flood. In Matthew 24, Jesus is telling his disciples about the final day of judgment, when he's going to return. And as he described this, his second coming and judgment day, he compared it to what happened during the flood. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For the many people across the globe, the days before the flood just seemed like any other normal day. People were engaged in the normal routines of life. People ate, people drank, they got married, they were given in marriage. And because of their sinful, unbelieving hearts, they were completely unaware of the judgment that was coming for them. They were completely unaware that until the flood, they were completely unaware of the judgment until that flood completely swept them away. And Jesus said, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Folks, Judgment Day, it's coming. And just like the flood, many people are not going to be ready when it comes, and many people will be swept away by God's righteous wrath. But the difference between the flood and the day of judgment when Jesus returns is that this judgment 
is, is not a temporary judgment that ends in physical death, but is an eternal judgment where the punishment and the pain will last forever. But just like there was a small group in the ark, <coughs> excuse me, in the ark that was saved from God's judgment, there will also be a small group who are saved from the eternal punishment on Judgment Day. And just like Noah was saved because of his faith in God, we too can be saved because of faith, through faith. We don't have to have an ark to deliver us, but God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to be our Savior. You see, every single person here has sinned. Every single person here deserves God's judgment. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He died as the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins and He defeated death by rising from the dead. And all who put their faith in Him as their Savior and Lord will be forever delivered from the judgment of God. The story of Noah and the flood is a warning to every single one of us here today. The Creator is a God of power, and He's a God of judgment. And He will one day pour out His wrath on all mankind. But you don't have to be swept away. You don't have to experience God's judgment. You can be saved if you put your faith in Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for that truth. God, your word is clear. You are a big God. You are a powerful God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You control all of the elements in the universe. You brought that flood. You displayed your might. And Lord God, I ask that we would think about that this week. That we would remember how powerful you are. How strong you are. That we would praise you for that. And that we would trust you. Knowing that you are reliable. You are strong enough to be trusted. And I ask God that we would remember that you are also a God of judgment. God, we praise you for your holiness and your justice. And we know it was your justice that came down during the flood. God, I ask that you're, you being a God of judgment would sober us, would cause us to Remember how serious this is. That life is not just a game. That you are going to judge those eternally who do not repent and put their trust in your Son. I ask, Lord God, that that would spur us on. I ask if there is anyone here who has not yet put their trust in Christ that they would 
that they'd recognize that this is, this is not to play around with, that we have a God who we don't want to mess with, who we don't want to oppose, that we don't want to be neutral about. I ask, Lord God, that if there's anyone here who's not trusted in your Son, that you would change their heart and bring them to you. And I ask, Lord God, that we would be serious about, about telling other people the truth, that we would be willing to open our mouths to those around us and to tell them that there is a God of judgment, that there is a God who will punish them if they don't turn to Him. But Lord God, we do thank You that in the midst of all of this talk of judgment, that there is grace, that there is salvation, that just as You saved Noah and his family, You are willing to save any person who is willing to trust in Your Son. And I ask, Lord God, that we would proclaim that good news this week. We thank you for your son, and his name we pray. Amen.